Hey there, Leah Ryan here. Welcome to episode 11 of the Authors Read Podcast. Today's author is Leslie Peters, and she'll read from her book, Finding Time to Lead. Finding Time to Lead. Introduction. After all has been said and done, what we have to offer is our authentic selves in relationship to others. What matters most, what transforms, is the influence of a humble, vulnerable witness to the truth. Henry Nowen. There is no CEO school. There is no specific school or program people can attend to learn to be a CEO. There's just too much to know. Where does leadership fit into all of the million other things you need to know and do? How do you make time for leadership? If you had the time for it, how would you spend that time? I've spent the last 20 plus years working side by side with CEOs. I've served as a consultant, coach, trainer, second in command, confidant, and friend to CEOs at all different kinds of organizations, and I'm now the CEO of my own small company. Some of the people I've known in the CEO role have had extraordinary careers. They've built incredible cultures, grown their companies, enhanced the bottom line, and left a meaningful and positive mark on organizations they care about. I've also known CEOs who have burned out, caused the culture in their organizations to stagnate, and led their organizations into ruin. Generally, we promote people to be CEO because they're extraordinarily good at something the organization cares about. Sales and marketing, product development, or engineering. In a startup, it's the person with a great idea for a new product or service who becomes the CEO because they have the great idea. In nonprofit organizations, we promote our best teachers to be principals and our best social workers to be executive directors. When we do that, we put extraordinarily talented, high-achieving people into a role that is entirely new to them. We ask them to do something totally different than anything they've done before. We pull them away from the thing in which they've excelled. It's like pulling the star center off the varsity basketball team and asking him to coach the soccer team. The role of CEO requires a very different skill set than any other company role. The view of the organization, the span of control and authority, and the level of responsibility and pressure are all different from the CEO's chair. It's exciting and exhilarating, but also overwhelming. CEOs, especially new CEOs, learn on the job all the time, and the stakes are high. Of course, every CEO comes to their new role with great aspirations about the type of incredible leader they'll be. They want to be like their favorite coach or mentor, and then they get sucked into the minutia of the job and they put leadership on the back burner. Or worse yet, they equate doing things and making decisions with leadership, which is not to say that those aren't components of leadership, but they are not the most important part of a CEO's job. Condensing leadership into doing things and making decisions actually lets us off the hook from considering a broader definition of leadership. Our beliefs are where we begin. The decisions we make and the things we do merely reinforce what we believe. Intentionally choosing what we will do and how we show up is where leadership lives. How do you intentionally choose, especially when there is so much to do and there are so many decisions to make? Intentional choice depends on knowing what you care about. So what do you care about and how might you find time to figure that out? The good news is that it doesn't take all that much time. It takes focused time on things that matter most. That's what this book is about. I'll show you three shifts, seven practices, and lots of tools that will help you learn how to be a CEO or a leader at any level. As it turns out, 
it's not hard to find time to lead because leading is already inherent in everything you do. It's not something separate that you have to make time for. I've seen CEOs who take a lifetime to feel like they've got the perspective and platform in their own leadership to do what they want to do with their company. I've seen CEOs who never get there. And I've seen CEOs who are hungry, who are eager to embrace their new role, who see themselves growing and extending to unleash their own greatness and the greatness in their people. Which one are you? I'm assuming, since you picked up this book, that you're a hungry leader, that you want to accelerate your own path to great leadership. You're ready for clarity about where you should be spending your limited time and how to spend it in a way that will expand your leadership capacity. This book will challenge you to do some real work on learning how to be a leader because there's greatness in you. Others have seen it. You've experienced it. Let's make sure it gets out there all the time. In this book, I'll begin with three fundamental shifts that broaden the view of leadership and demonstrate how it's embedded in everything you already do. These shifts are adapted from the work of my friend and colleague, Kimberly Schneider, who teaches communication and presence to university students and business leaders. Within each of these shifts, we'll look at two supportive practices, along with specific tools you can use right now. We'll wrap up with a seventh practice that is a foundation for all the others. The shifts, practices, and tools in finding time to lead will give you the perspectives you need to tap into the powerful base that is your own personal leadership. You'll have what you need to be the type of leader who can engage with others to build a culture that attracts and keeps incredible people, that innovates and that adapts and maximizes the opportunities available to create the future you imagine, not only for your company, but for yourself. So why shift? Shifting a perspective or a stance is like adjusting the lens on a camera. Imagine taking a photograph with your phone. You can see only what's in the boundary of the camera's lens. You can zoom in and get closer to the details, but you can't get a broader view than what's allowed by the frame. Now imagine physically turning the camera to panorama view. Your perspective shifts. That's what these CEO shifts will do for you. They'll expand your view. When you're able to see more, you're able to choose better about what to pay attention to. With that expanded view, you can step back and see more and different options, and you can make more conscious choices. Here's the big secret about leadership and why you don't have to make time for it. It's not a separate thing. It's part of everything you already do. Making these perspective shifts will simply and radically change what you're already doing. The three shifts. Remember how great you were at your last job? <laughs> Remember that incredible idea that prompted you to start your company? It's a fantastic feeling. You're on top of the world, excited about what you've accomplished and ready for the next challenge, or eager to be the greatest tech company or new product on the market. Then you sit in the CEO chair and realize that this job is big. It's exciting and full of opportunity and big. Everyone is looking at you, expecting you to lead. What does that mean? What does it mean for you? In my experience, great leaders have gone through three big shifts in perspective and action. If you can understand these shifts and begin to integrate them into how you operate as a leader, you can vastly accelerate your own journey toward great leadership. The three big shifts that happen for leaders are from doing to being, from knowing to understanding, and from reacting to responding. 
One of the challenging things about these shifts is that they're not only shifts, they're expansions. As a CEO, you will be called to do, to know, and to react. But more often, you will find yourself needing to be, to understand, and to respond. The trick is figuring out which one, in what measure, and in what circumstances. Finding time to lead will give you seven practices and more than 20 tools that you can start using immediately to accelerate these shifts and expand your capacity as a leader. But first, let's briefly explore each of these shifts in a bit more depth. The first shift from doing to being. As a CEO, as a leader, of course you do things. There are many things to do, but you've probably noticed that you're not as productive as you used to be. Being a great leader is a long game. There are fewer check it off the list things to accomplish, fewer things you can say are done, and few actions you can take that don't then have multiple next steps in terms of communicating and building alignment. It can be frustrating to not have that one big goal. I met the sales goals for this quarter. I kept that project on budget. I got the next round of funding. It's great when those goals are met, but as CEO, you see the other 17 goals that aren't being met and your attention goes there. The issues you address and the problems you see are long-term, slow, simmering problems that require time for answers and solutions to emerge. Organizations are complex systems, and doing things in the moment isn't usually the answer in a complex system. Sitting with the discomfort of not knowing is more often the answer, because it allows a better view of the whole. This means that you have to be in that space of allowing a wider perspective, not necessarily doing something right now. This move from doing to being is the most impactful and most challenging shift. You've probably always been aware of who you are, and I'm sure you've paid attention to how you show up, how you behave and interact in different situations. You wouldn't be the CEO if you hadn't. But this role of CEO is different. Everything you do is at an exponentially higher level. The stakes are higher. Chapters 1 and 2 explore the two practices, embark and explore, that provide the foundation for moving from doing to being. The second shift from knowing to understanding. It's great to know, isn't it? To have the answer, to see that end game, to be able to add up the numbers and be sure of the results. We like that. Our brains are wired for it. As high achieving, successful people, we really like that, especially when we're the ones who know. Certainty is comfortable for the most primitive, unconscious, and in some ways most powerful part of our brain the part that generates chemicals that trigger our fight or flight response. This part of the brain developed way back in the days when we had to be wary of predators. It kept us alive and allowed us to survive as a species. If things are certain, this most primitive part of our brain doesn't have to be scanning for danger all the time. It can relax. We feel better. Because of this, we pursue certainty like a heat-seeking missile, often to our detriment. When we know, we are in that zone of certainty where we feel most comfortable. We think we've solved something and we literally breathe a sigh of relief. We often look to leaders to provide that certainty to make us feel more comfortable. As a leader, there are certainly times to offer comfort, but certainty is an illusion. More often than not, rather than provide the answers, our most important job as CEO is to help people feel more safe in their discomfort. 
Winston Churchill is a good example of this shift from knowing to understanding. He couldn't know the outcome of World War II. There were no clear answers. No one could know, and there wasn't much he could do from his underground bunker in London. But he understood that people were frightened. He comprehended the complexity of the situation, and he was able to be a leader. What he said, how he showed up, how he demonstrated that understanding was all he could do because he could not know. The way he handled not knowing made him a leader for that time. In uncertain times, which are really pretty much all times, understanding and holding space for not knowing may be our best contribution as leaders. Chapters 3 and 4 explore two practices, expand and engage, that support the shift from knowing to understanding. In those chapters, you'll also find frameworks and approaches to help you move more quickly from knowing to understanding. The third shift, from reacting to responding. We prize quick reactions, especially in fast-paced environments like today's companies and startups. You snooze, you lose, is a story we tell ourselves to justify quick reactions. We look for people who can give us a quick answer so that we can keep things moving. There's a place for that, but it's generally not in the CEO's office. Responding instead of reacting does not mean moving slowly. It means incorporating thought and foresight in your response. Responding comes from being, not doing. It reflects understanding, which may include not knowing, at least not in this moment. The capacity to respond instead of react is one of the key things that enables you to intentionally create a culture that attracts and keeps the best people. More importantly, it's what maximizes their potential because it generates commitment and loyalty. Chapters 5 and 6 focus on the shift from reacting to responding and explore how this shift unleashes the potential in your people through two practices, encourage and evolve. Chapter 7 is about the final practice, extend. This practice is a simple reminder you can use when you feel like you can't possibly find enough time to be bothered with all of this leadership stuff. And one more thing, just one more note before you go on. We're all achievement-oriented, results-driven, successful people here, and we like to get things done. Therefore, it's only fair to warn you that making these shifts is never done. This is a practice, and it takes a lot of practice. If you're looking for a silver bullet or a magic pill that will suddenly transform you into the great leader you want to be, if you're not up for doing the work of learning to be a great leader, then this book is not for you. Being a CEO or any kind of leader and learning how to be a better leader is not for the faint of heart. If you really want it, then keep reading. I'd like to thank Leslie for sharing her book with us today and thank you for listening to the Authors Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time.